You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Um, moving forward with our, our series in the book of 1 Peter. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles or open up your app to 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll be looking at the first six verses. And I know we've prayed already, but I wonder if we could go ahead and, and pray once again, and then we'll close after the message in prayer. Father, I thank you so much that uh, not only are your people here, but you promised you'll be here. You said uh, that you will be with us until the end of the age. And God, you give us, uh, you said all, all authority is given unto me. Go into all the world. Lord, you have all power. And you said, and I'll be with you. So, Lord, you give us your presence. We need your power. We need your presence. And so I pray that as we go to your word, the word that you've inspired, the word that you've given to give us new life, the word that you've given us to um, help us grow in life, and the word that's going to sustain us, that you use and work through to sustain us to the end. Lord, I pray for each person's heart. Holy Spirit, you know the needs. I think as Joe, Brother Nelson was, was uh, talking about, is there anybody that's, that's had a long week? Is there anybody that's tired? Is there anybody that's hurting? Is there anybody that's hopeless? Is there anybody uh, having doubts? Is there anybody that's confused? Is there anybody that just wants hope, starting out in life, young and thinking, what is there for me as a Christian in this world? A vision, a mission, a calling, hope for the future. Lord, your gospel gives young and old hope, and you give us help. And we pray that uh, you would help us right now as we, as we look at these verses from, from 1 Peter. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. All right, well, the uh, title of the message this morning is Let the dead live. Let the dead live. Every Christian was dead in their sins. And then all of a sudden the voice of God showed up and the dead became alive. So we'd like to, to read through the first six verses and um, do a little outline and review review this outline that I have here, and and then just go through the passage and discuss the uh, the question that we have today. There's a question we have today, and the question is this: How does the gospel give us power to live? How does the gospel give us power to live for God? I'm gonna chew on that and wrestle on that. How does the gospel give us the power not to live for ourselves but to live for God how does that happen Peter tells us how that happens today and um, he does it with his voice he does it with his power he does it with the statement let the dead live verse 1 we'll be reading in the CSB today verse 1 says this Wow, I'm in the P book, but it's uh, Proverbs. 
So I'm gonna have to go go right for a while here. All right. Wow. New, uh, Proverbs? Oh. Oh, thank you, Joe. Awesome. Verse one, chapter four, first Peter. Yay. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding. Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They're surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that also they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards. They might live in the spirit according to God's standards. May God bless the, the reading and the study of his word this morning. Um, First Peter has passages that are like a puzzle in the back of a magazine or in a newspaper, and you're just like, how do we put this grammar together um, there's words and there's terms and there's theology and the, the grammar is like what is referring to what and this passage right here if I read through that and you're kind of going okay I get it what was that and okay now I'm back on now what was that um, little tip that I have when I uh, I study the Bible is uh, uh, Joe I'm going to use a motorcycle illustration if that's all right is that okay all right all right so uh, as I understand it I had uh, I had a really amazing motorcycle one time. I had a used Honda 100. <laughs> it used oil. Yeah, yeah. But it did have a transmission. And uh, on the one side of the transmission, uh, power came in with the shaft. And then there was this mysterious thing inside of the transmission that I never wanted to take apart. And then there was a shaft that came out on the other side. And sometimes this would go through at some RPM, and you'd shift gears, and the RPM would change over here and I look at the Bible like a gearbox sometimes it's like okay I get the power I, I clearly see the shaft and then it goes into this mysterious gearbox and I don't know what's going on inside there but I really like what's coming out on the other side uh, do that sometimes when you're when you're stuck in a foggy passage or a verse in the Bible you're just like I don't know what's going on back up a little bit say I get this part that's foggy, I get that part, and it helps to define what's going on in there. And also, every single time that we've ever read the Bible, there's parts you don't understand. Can you still be blessed? I don't have to know what's going on inside a transmission to use it. I don't know, how, uh, one time I tried to re, uh, rebuild an automatic transmission on a station wagon. I opened that thing up and springs and ball bearings and stuff came out, and oil all over the floor. I'm like, oh no. Uh, I can use an automatic transmission. I don't have to understand every single detail of how this thing works. And uh, sometimes you have to back up a little further and back up a little further. It really helps in 1 Peter to back up and say, what is the big picture in this book? And the big picture is this. Our, our, uh, our uh, series 
It's called Exiles. And the book starts out talking about Christians all around first century Mediterranean. You suffering? You don't fit in? You exiles? Well, church, are you a fellow sufferer? You feel like you don't fit in? This book's written to you, to exiles. And exiles, really by definition, are going to experience suffering. And time after time through the book of 1 Peter, he talks about suffering. He talks, he starts the book out saying, you're experiencing a fiery trial. You guys ever been through a fiery trial? There's a trial and then there's a fiery trial. There's a trial saying, I think I'm going to just burn up. I don't think we're going to make it through this. I think the way this trial is going, that we're going to end up just a pile of ashes. This is a fiery trial. Bible also talks about fiery darts, and you almost feel like some, some trials are coming to us from the pit of hell, coming straight from Satan. Well, the Bible in 1 Peter tells us that though the world and even Satan himself come against us, nothing takes God by surprise. No trial, no fiery trial, no difficult situation, no out-of-your-mind problem, has slipped through God's fingers and he goes, oh, I didn't realize that was happening to you. Let me help you. Not only does God know what's coming into your life, he can use a fiery trial against the enemy, against your flesh and against the world to draw you to the very best place any human being, any Christian can ever be. And that is closer to God. He wants to give us a gift. He's a good God, and he wants to give us the very best thing there is in the universe, and that is his presence. His presence. Are you a lover? You have somebody you care about? You have a spouse? You have a friend? You have a baby? One of the challenging things last year was we didn't get to be in each other's presence. There's nothing like being face-to-face -face with one that you love. And there's no situation that happens in the universe that takes God by surprise, and he can use the worst fiery trial to bring you in the greatest gift, his holy presence. There's a pattern in 1 Peter, and the pattern is this. Exiles, your suffering, I know. But know this. You don't worship a philosophy. You worship the Prince of Peace. And he knows what pain is. He knows what suffering is. And there's this pattern over and over. It starts right out in, the, in chapter 1 in the first, uh, first few verses where he says, you were blessed by his grace for obedience. And then there's this weird phrase, and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. First Peter's a bloody book. And our Savior didn't just uh, go through hard times. He bled. He bled. Our trials are fiery. But there's no trial that any human being has ever experienced that matches the ultimate satisfaction that Jesus attained by giving perfect life for perfect wrath. And he rose in perfect power. There's a pattern. You want to have power to get through difficult times? You want to have power to be a witness as an exile, know this. You worship a real God 
that knows what it's like to be a real person and he's experienced real pain that we can't even imagine. And he submitted to it. He says, for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. He despised the shame. He didn't like being whipped, did he? No, he didn't like being ripped and stripped naked, did he? He didn't enjoy the thought of being nailed to a cross and dropped into a hole. And so they said it happened with that cross that they would make like a, a post hole and then they would nail the bodies flat and they'd lift it up and then they would drop the cross into the pole where you're being suspended by your hands and your feet while everyone wagged their heads and walked by and mocked. And so he was at his most painful when he even cried out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right in public. But I'm willing to take the shame for the joy set before me. That's our Savior. That's our Christ. That's our suffering Savior. So as we come into uh, uh, Pastor Joe preached there at the end of chapter 3 uh, last week, he talked about, yeah, yeah, though Christ has suffered, it says, you're going to make it through the flood. You're going to make it through the flood. Do you remember the message where, where Joe said to uh, preach for over 45 minutes and said, I've been waiting to say this one statement all morning. You're going to make it through your flood. That's the picture that's going on, that there is one that's stronger than the flood. You're not going to drown. You're going to make it. So whatever suffering you're having this morning, whatever pain you're having this morning, whatever doubt, whatever feeling like, I'm, I'm a teenager. Um, is there any hope? Is there anything in Christianity worth giving my life for? There is. Peter tells us about it. So let's go through this passage and do some comments on these six, these six verses, and then I'd like to look at three points. Three points. Um, let me look at what they are. It's, the, it's the, the gospel of life, the gospel for life, and the gospel through life. Charles Spurgeon said, whenever you go to any passage or deliver any message, find the pathway to the cross. If you go to a passage and you find all of these duties, and there's a lot of duties, there's a lot of heavy-handed, you better not do this horrible stuff in this passage. And if you stick with you better not do this horrible stuff, it's the law, it'll crush you. But find the pathway to the cross because there's one that's kept everything for you, and that's our only hope. So we're going to look for the gospel. We're going to look for the gospel as it comes, it's, as it brings life, as it's for life, helps us get through life all right well all right here we go verse one therefore there we go first point therefore <laughs> i will not say the example i will not say the words so i'm lying my joke i'm not a good joke teller but uh therefore every time there's a therefore you ask what it's wow amazing yeah, why is the therefore, what is, what's it there for? The whole chapter has been talking about that you have an amazing Savior, a holy God that's been willing to suffer and die for you. And he said that when he was reviled, when he was whipped, when he was spat upon, he didn't spit back, he didn't revile back. 
That's the kind of God that you worship. And he has enough power, Jesus Christ has enough power to get you through. Therefore, since that's true, now this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh. Joe, I think that's the gospel in two words right there. Joe's. Christ <laughs> suffered. Christ suffered. If we're on the internet and we were to click on a hyperlink that said Christ, it would open up pages and pages and pages of meaning of who really is Christ. He's the holy, all-powerful, christened, royal God, the Messiah to come. And he was whipped. He suffered. First Peter tells us that by uh, his wounds we are healed. King James says by his stripes, by his whips, by his whipping, we are healed. Christ suffered. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, he became a real person. Since he became a real person, since he was more than a philosophy, since he's more than just a recipe for life, or five tips on how you can advance in your career, or six methods on how you can be a better grandmother, or a better, da better dad, since he's more than just a, a principle and more than just a recipe, we can say this, you became one of us. You took on flesh. You know what it's like to be in exile. Since that's true, since you have a real man that was really God, arm yourselves. I don't know if we have any guys that like guns in the room. <laughs> Maybe some of you are armed right now. We just don't know. He says, since this is your God, since your Christ suffered, arm yourselves. What does it mean to arm yourselves? You may have a gun in the back. You may have bullets over in the drawer, but you're not armed until you lock and load. You're not armed until the bullet is in the chamber. You're not armed until it's cocked back. You're not armed. Um, I was looking at this illustration. Do you know that there is a sport in Canada? Well, it's everywhere, but uh, there's this lady from... Canada named Nicole Franks. She's, she's from British Columbia, Canada, and she holds 50 world records in the World Fast Draw Association. Do you know there's a sport called the Fast Draw sport? Go to Google and type in Nicole Franks, and you're going to see this Fast Draw chick, and she's like got her hat on and her glasses on, and she's like, it's the coolest thing you could ever see. <laughs> that's a girl that's well armed don't start out your day with the bullets in the drawer arm yourselves arm yourselves with something it says arm yourselves with this understanding the power of what goes on in our head in our soul and in our heart will give us more power than uh, anything that Nicole Franks can shoot out of her gun God gives us a different bullet. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Arm yourselves with this understanding. Why? Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. So there's a principle. The one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. And I would call that a motorcycle transmission gearbox. Like, what? What does that mean? The one who suffers in the, in the flesh is finished with sin? Well, it doesn't mean that once you become a Christian, you're never going to sin again. 
We know that. That would go against everything in the Bible. What it does mean is when you arm yourselves, you have the power to stop any sin. When you stand up and say, I'm not going along with sin, I'll suffer against sin, you have gospel power to stop any pattern of sin in your life. Any pattern of sin in your life. If you follow confession, repentance, and worship to Jesus Christ and his power over death, hell, and the grave, he rose in, in power of the resurrection, it doesn't matter what pattern of sin, what thing is dogging you, what thing that makes you click where you shouldn't or say what you shouldn't or not do or not do what you should. Omission, sins of omission. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bad things you're doing and the good things you're not. The gospel gives you power when you arm yourselves. When you arm yourselves the way the Bible tells you to. Tim Keller, talking about this passage right here, says this. Um, he says, the way for you to not just stop sinning, but hate the sin. You ever done that? Like for five minutes? You stop the sin? You're so disciplined. You're so determined. You're such a good Christian. You stop the sin, but you love it. You had that other experience where sin has become detestable to you. And you're not tempted like you used to be. And you even start to hate that thing that you used to love. To have the sin lose all power over you, all ability to attract you, the way to kill its power over you is to think about what Jesus did for you on the cross. And Tim Keller says, simple as that. That's encouraging to me. It's kind of discouraging at the same time because I'm like, okay, I'm thinking about Jesus on the cross, but I still am struggling with my sin, my pattern of sin. Go deeper. Go deeper. Go deeper with who this Christ is. Go deeper with how he suffered. And the more you get down, you find out that he is suffering all the while, saying, I'm satisfying God's wrath, but I'm doing it for joy. And he thinks upon you as a perfect child that he absolutely loves. He went to the cross for love. There is something in the gospel right there that melts your heart. Because the reality is from day to day, we consider sin before we do sin. Does he quit loving us before we do it? He loves us before we do it. He loves us while we're doing it. And he loves us after we're doing it. And he doesn't want us to keep doing it. But nothing will stop us like unconditional love. He always loves us. He always loves us. It's not easy believism. It's real believism. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is the Christ? He is the anointed Messiah that's been waiting to come from the very beginning of creation. And he's come because he loves you and he suffered because he loves you. That kind of love has enough to melt your heart. So we have the power to stop our sin. In order to do what? Like we just said, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. Grace does not mean God is not hurt when we disobey him. He is hurt. But he's always for us. He's never against us. 
For there has already been enough time. Can we stop right there? There's already been enough time. And we get ready to go through all these gross sins. Some of us have, have gone through some of those specifically. Some of us have gone through those categorically, but we're all guilty. And he says it's enough. I think ESV says it's sufficient. Have, have you sinned sufficient? Is your, have have your, your actions of sin enough? You, say, I, you know, I need to sin a little more just so that I can be, you know. No, no. Your sin, it's enough. And can you say that to God? Enough. Enough with this pattern of sin. Enough with what I've always been doing. Enough with this weakness. You can make me strong. Enough. What we've done is plenty. It's fully sufficient. There's already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, those unbelievers that they're around, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. So it gets very specific, orgies, uh, carousing, drunkenness, evil desires. And then as uh, the Bible often does, then it gives like this summary thing, this little catch-all phrase, and lawless idolatry. That's like uh, everything against the law of God. Uh, if you're idolizing that, that too. We're all guilty, aren't we? We're all guilty. It doesn't matter whether you were raised in the church or you weren't raised in the church. God sees down to the very marrow of our bones, to the very core of our thoughts, and he sees our brokenness. He sees our brokenness. And he says, stop. Stop. So you do. And what happens? Ah, you're a Christian. Everything's wonderful. No, no. Then all these people that you used to hang out with, uh, or uh, maybe, maybe here's this. Some of your experience, maybe you had a bunch of friends and you uh, followed along with this kind of party scene, and now you don't, and they're like, text, call. Where are you, man? Others, you may grow up into the church, and guess what? Has anyone discovered that the, uh, the things you get shot at in the church uh, sometimes hurt even more than the things that happen outside of the church? Have you ever had pushback from people within the church? What are you going to do then? You're going to fold? You're going to fill up with bitterness? You want to get even? Well, this passage shows us how not only to not do that, but how to thrive and how to grow and how to move forward. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. And this interesting statement comes here in verse 5. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. The living and the dead. How many people does that, uh, does that uh, include? <laughs> Pretty much everybody, I think. You know, the, the living and the dead. It's kind of like the stuff, everything you say and everything you do. It's everything. Who does God judge? He judges the living and the dead. And I say we could go do a deep, five, deep dive right here and say, now what does this actually mean? And this is for me my policy is I'm going to stick with what I know and if we want to talk about uh, things that will, it could be that, it could be this and we can argue and discuss uh, we can do that later but we're going to stand right here and we're going to proclaim what we know and I know this, God is the judge of all the living and the dead he's the judge and everyone will give account what do you think of God? what's your view of God? Is your, your God basically 
upset with you all the time? You ever gone into those seasons? You know, Patrick, listen to what you're saying at the sink meeting. And, and uh, I feel that, that uh, self-condemnation that comes that you spoke about. And for me, uh, when I feel those, those words of condemnation, you're no good, you're a fool, you're not good enough, what do they think of you? All, those, all that whispering, all that condemnation that comes in, it comes in, uh, one level of that is because uh, I think my God doesn't really accept me. He doesn't really love me. He's kind of uh, bummed with me. I've had a bad week. And so he's kind of distant and cool and, and far away from me. And, uh, and I start beating myself up. Do I have the right to say, hell, uh, devil, go back to hell where you belong and quit condemning me? There's no condemnation to them that are where? In Christ. In Christ. You getting wet right now? No, because you're in the building. Wrath is not raining down upon us because we're in something. We are in Christ and we are fine. We are fine. Now, how are you behaving in, in there? Well, God's interested in that, but you don't have God against you. He's all over and it's fine. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. You might be thinking, well, maybe I'm not in Christ. Sometimes, as we talk about the gospel here in a minute, uh, we think that the gospel is just a decision that we make, uh, maybe read um, a, a little step of a prayer, and then we have a new list of things to do. Now we've got to get back to work because now we have a, a new list of things to do. We used to be working in a job trying to impress our boss, or we may be at school trying to impress our friends, and we're just always earning and always striving. We've got this list of duties, and I'm not a Christian, and it's a hard life, and I'm tired of it. Jesus, please give me a better life. So we pray a little prayer, and now we go over here and said, now impress the pastor, and now make sure and read your Bible, and now make sure and pray, or God's going to be against you. That's not the gospel. Sometimes we shrink the idea of the gospel is just make a decision and now get back to work. Oh, there's a, gospel, there's a decision to be made. We are to receive this grand, amazing story. But it is life-changing. It is life-giving. And you go from earning to receiving. You go from being motivated by fear to being motivated by love. R.C. Sproul said, our problem is not that we can't do it. Our problem is that we won't. It's all about the will. What do you want? Well, love draws you to him and you're motivated no longer by earning, no longer by fear. You're motivated by love. That melts the will. And says, I want that. I want that. I want that when I'm feeling like I'm getting drowned by, by the flood of Noah, a worldwide flood in my life. You're going to make it through because I love you. I love you. Interesting phrase right here, too. It says, they will give account. Another point on that item is, uh, how do you feel about judgment? Is anybody going to get away with sin? Nobody's getting away with sin. Not one single sin. No one's getting away from it. Now, I wonder if probably Mike is over here thinking theological thoughts and saying, well, for a Christian, you know, sins are going to be uh, over shunted onto Christ, right? 
others that uh, choose not to step out of God's wrath will experience his full wrath. But no sin is gone without account. How does that make you feel? As good missional people, you want to do apologetics? One of the biggest questions that uh, we're faced with as Gen Y comes along as, co as college-age students and where our culture is right now, is your God just this angry, vindictive God that's going to, if you don't say the, the right little prayer, you're going to be sent to hell, and you're, you're in there saying, oh, Lord, let me out. I'm so sorry. I, I, give me another chance. Is, is, is that your God? Is that our definition of hell? Is that our definition of, of God that will judge all the living and the dead and will hold everyone account? It's not how he works. God's a loving God. But God's a holy God. C.S. Lewis said the, the door to hell is locked from the inside. So this picture of someone in hell saying, let me out, let me out, let me out, is, is, is some cartoon from pop culture. Everyone chooses to step into the wrath of God. We're born under that place, but we choose to stay in there. And if that's where we stay until the very end, we're not going to be going in there saying, oh, I'm wrong, I'm so sorry, I want you now. Those removed from God's presence will constantly be going saying, it's not fair, I deserve better. And the doors locked and you got the key. Come on out anytime you want. I'm not coming out because it's not fair. Our picture of God is a God that created a perfect and beautiful creation, and he invited mankind to join with him in his holiness and in his beauty. But mankind chose to rebel, and without his amazing grace, we will rebel for eternity. The door could be swinging wide open. And like R.C. Sproul is, it's not because you can't. It's because you won't. The whole, the whole battle is the will. The whole battle is the heart. So you can go to someone, to a millennial, and say, listen, it was not God's original idea. It's not God's original idea. He does give mankind a choice. Praise God, he overwhelms our choice with his sovereignty. <laughs> but his original intentions are going to come to pass one day, too. He started a beautiful world, and guess what, guys? If you're in Christ, you're going to enjoy that beautiful world. You're going to enjoy the new heaven. You're going to enjoy the new earth. And you're going to be satisfied looking Jesus eye to eye, face to face, in a real place, perfection. Because he's a good God. And his plans, and he's powerful enough to keep his plans on track. All right. So, uh, they will give account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the what? For this reason, starts with a G, ends with ospel. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standard. I think the ESV says the way, the way, or the standards. Now, there's some fogginess right here. I'm going to stick with what I know, all right? This is what I think we know. This is what you know, and I think I know. How about that? Um, for this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead. Well, one thing I do know 
There was a time when I was dead in trespasses and sins, and the gospel came to the dead. And just like Lazarus, Jesus spoke, says, Lazarus, come forth. And even though he stank, he came forward. The gospel comes to the dead. It might mean more than that. It doesn't mean less. And what happens when you're saved? Well, we've just been talking about what happens when you're saved. Then all of a sudden, everyone starts condemning you and mocking you and judging you according to their standards. That they might, uh, so that although you might be judged in the flesh according to human standards. You ever been judged? You ever made a stand at work? You ever made a stand at school? And you got those looks? Or maybe you, got, you felt yourself being sidelined in the organization? Um, I'll just put that out there as saying, I think that's what it means, but you, you dig more than that. What I do know is this. Why was the gospel preached? For this reason. That they might live in the Spirit. The gospel was proclaimed to the dead, that the dead might live. The title is, Let the Dead Live. Christian, have you heard that in your heart? Unbeliever, respond to the message. I'm telling you right now, live. Live. There is a christened Messiah that has come and he's restoring. The gospel's this. Just said a big part of it. The gospel is this. There is a holy, loving God that created an absolutely perfect place. And he said, join with me in beauty and joy and love. And everybody says, we don't want to. And for generations, God's special people said, we don't want to. Oh, they try, and then they fall away. And then they try a little more, and they fall away twice. And they keep going until it got so bad, they got taken off into exile. And the whole Old Testament is just one generation after another saying, we don't want your way, God. And threaded through the Old Testament, it says, you may not want my way, but there's one coming that will always want my way, that will always satisfy my law, and he'll give you his righteousness. And he came as a little baby. And he lived perfectly. And he died perfectly. And he rose perfectly. It's Christ. And he suffered. And John tells us that's the story. Will you receive it? See, the gospel is a story. It's done. Christ has accomplished the work. And John says, will you receive that story? That thing that's done, that's the gospel. The gospel is preached so that they may live. If you see yourself as one of those rebels, if you see yourself as, as one that's gone against God's holy love, if you understand that there's no way in your heart that you can earn your way into God's favor, if you're tired of, of, of trying to say, I'm not that bad. Are you tired of that? How's that going for you? Are you ready to say, okay, uncle, guilty, I quit, I'm done. And the Bible says, turn and worship your way out of darkness. Worship your way. Confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and come into the light so that the dead might live. A little bit of a joke right here, so that the dead might live, and then we can just go back and be lazy because we're saved by grace. No, no, it says right here, so that we can live in the spirit according to 
God's standards. Love is much more powerful of a motivator than fear, right? It is. It is true love will make you do things you never thought you would do. It make you give away things you never thought you'd give away. It make you sacrifice and go for and even suffer things you never thought you would suffer. And when you see Jesus Christ as beautiful as he is, you say, and you see as horrible as I am, and you love me anyway, you see every thought that I have, you see every action that I take, you see my laziness and my craziness, I want to live by your standards. That's a standard that the world doesn't give us. That's the gospel, the gospel to us. The gospel gives us life. Receive it and live. But that's not all. The gospel is for life. It's not just for regeneration. The gospel is for sanctification. And finally, number three, how does the gospel get us through life? So there's our last point right here. It's like five till 11. How does the gospel give us, get us through life? Christian? When you make a stand, when you say, I'm not going to do what I used to do anymore, and you start getting people that uh, do things that really hurt, what gives you the power to forgive? You know about Corey Tin Boom. Uh, she hid uh, Jewish people during World War II away from the Nazis and kept them safe. And uh, she had a, a sister named Betsy, and they both went to concentration camps. And uh, the, the, the soldiers were there, and uh, they, they administered the nitty-gritty of the Holocaust. And Betsy didn't make it. And Corey made it. Betsy died in the camp, and, and Corey made it. And after the war was over, Corey would go around to, to different churches in Germany. And she would say, God forgives. God forgives. One time in Munich, in the basement of a church, uh, the Germans were sitting there with their heads hanging low. They knew they were guilty. And uh, after she gave this picture of forgiveness, of saying that he has thrown your sins into the depths of the sea, uh, everyone hung their heads, and they knew it, but they just felt so horrible about what had happened. One man weaved his way through the crowd and came up to Corey. And he had kind of a soldier coat on. As she got closer, she saw the telltale skull and crossbones. And she recognized him as the very soldier that was at her concentration camp when Betsy died. And he said, Fräulein, I so appreciate your message of forgiveness, that God will forgive any sin and throw him into a sea of forgetfulness. But I would like to hear it from you. For I was a soldier at a concentration camp and I did all these things. He didn't recognize her. He recognized, and she recognized him. She said, I would love to hear it from your own words, your own mouth. Do you forgive me? And he stuck out his hand. And Corey said it felt like years went by, but it was probably only seconds. And she said, I cannot do it. I can't forgive him. I remember what he did. She says, I literally remember when we were all stripped naked and our clothes and our shoes were in a pile and they marched us in front of them to the showers. And I remember him being there 
And she says, Lord, you've forgiven me. And though I don't feel it, I have the power to forgive even this Nazi soldier that was a part of killing my own sister. And she said, mechanically, I raised my hand, and we met, and we shook. And she said, I felt a warmth and a power come through my entire body and joy that I can't explain. The power of forgiveness. What's the only way that we can have the power to forgive when people come against us as we, as we stand in the new Christian life? The only way we can have the power is to know this. You've been forgiven. You don't have the power to, uh, you know the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Mentioned that last time, I think. I don't have the power to be happy. I don't have the power to let bygones be bygones. Have you experienced that, that time doesn't heal all wounds? I don't need time, and I don't need cheered up. I need cosmic forgiveness on my account because I'm guilty. And the only one that can did receive it, believe it, become alive, don't quit, follow God's holy standards, and know this, the only way that you can is to know this. When Christ suffered, he suffered for you. And if you're stuck in a sin, you can say, make that more real to me, Lord. I still want to do it. It still tastes good. It still attracts me. Help me, God. Help me. Help me see the power of your suffering. Help me see the beauty of who you really are. And as you do that, constantly the idea of condemnation is going to wash away. Maybe even hear the crackling of the whip on his back or the thud of the hammer on the spikes as it becomes real to you. But know this, at his heart, he's pounding, I love you. I love you. It's for the joy set before me. Before you sin, while you sin, after you sin, I love you. That is the power to melt your heart and make you obey because you want to, not because you have to. God bless you. So as we get ready to, uh, to shift gears here, um, I'm going to take communion. And communion is an expression that I believe all this. I believe all this. That juice is a picture of that blood. And that uh, bread is a picture of that flesh. And so uh, if you're not a Christian yet, I bet if you uh, talk to one of the Joes or, or somebody else in the room, uh, today could be your first communion as a Christian. You could say, I believe this story. I believe that that was done for me. I believe Jesus really is who he said he was. And uh, the well, would we be patient enough to let somebody that uh, became a, a brand new baby Christian today take communion with us a little bit later? If that were to happen, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. If you feel that on your heart right now, Joe's standing in the back. You can go talk to him. Secondly, if you are a Christian and you feel like you've just been hitting heads with somebody and you need to say, uh, forgive me, I'm sorry. Remember this. Jesus is saying to you, I forgive you. I love you. So before you take communion, go to, go to that person and say, I forgive you and I love you too. So thank you guys. Love you.
God, as we sit here, as we just settle in what we just heard, God, you are knocking. God, you are knocking and saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. God, as we worship today, God, let us remind ourselves that, God, that you love us before, during, and after we sin. God, that is such, I just, that is an absolutely amazing imagery that just, that you're knocking and that we just sit there and we listen to you say this, that I love you. God, today as we worship God, we recognize this. God, let us sit and remind ourselves that the devil has no power over us. The things that we hold against ourselves, the things that we tell ourselves that are negative and that are hurtful mean absolutely nothing to the power of Jesus Christ. And therefore, it should mean nothing to us. So God, as we sit here and as we worship and as we stand together, God, to call upon your name because, God, you deserve it. Because, God, you are power. That, God, you are love itself. That, God, you are mercy itself and grace itself, God. And, God, as we stand up here today to claim that, God, you are above all things, that your mercy is more, that the one thing that remains is your love, that, God, you show us great you can be and show us that today today the devil has no power today I am a new person today I see the sin that I have committing and am committing right now or I feel like I love my sin that God today I see that and today I choose today that is enough that that is enough of that today I choose to follow the power that you have given me to say enough. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.